Brick Moon Fiction presents Uncle Raymond Has a Pet Gerbil by Jack Moody Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle Mark's father dusted off the old VCR tape and popped it into the VCR player he had to pull out of the garage. On the front of the tape was written, Proof in Case of Lawsuit. Mark sat on the floor of his family's living room and watched as the static on the television cut abruptly to an old man standing behind a collapsible table. He wore a typical white overcoat one thinks of when they imagine the cliched scientific professional archetype. Thick Coke bottle glasses magnified blue eyes that sat sunken in their sockets. His gray hair was going in the middle, with just enough to comb over the top of his bald head and appear almost natural in flattering enough light. Behind the old man was a painfully amateur graphic of the Milky Way on a green screen with a small tear in it, allowing the viewer a good enough glimpse to make it apparent that this was filmed in his garage. Wormholes are real, the old man sputtered. They're the intergalactic subway system of every other race of sentient beings in the universe. We're behind the times, people, but there's still time to join the ranks of the star surfers. I have contact with our extraterrestrial friends, and it is important to note that I am well versed in the necessary politics and scientific knowledge to not only navigate the tentative relationship between mankind and my otherworldly contact, but to translate the blueprints handed to us. Or, well, me. That will soon take us to the far reaches of the solar system. No, our universe. Mark's father stopped the tape. This is why I don't want you seeing your uncle. I think he's cool, said Mark. He seems interesting. He's mentally ill, his father replied. I don't think so. What happened to him? He was an astrophysicist. He worked for NASA. One day he started talking about how he'd found evidence of aliens, saying they talked to him inside his head. That only he could hear. It began to get worse. There were breakdowns and fits when his colleagues continued to dismiss him so they gave him a series of tests to determine if he was mentally fit to continue working, and to no one's surprise, he was deemed a danger to the U.S. government and fired. Since then, his ramblings have just gotten worse. Your uncle has lost all connection with reality, along with most of the family. But he's still family, said Mark. I've never met him, and I'd like to. That's not a good idea, his father grumbled. Mark's eyes began to well up. You never let me do anything fun, he shouted, and ran down the hallway to his room, slamming the door behind him. Mark's room had become his solace, his protection from the outside world. He rarely left. Meeting other kids had always been a problem. People didn't like him. He was quiet and shy. He read too many books and played too few sports, but that was okay. Mark didn't like any of his classmates anyway. When he'd heard about his uncle, that he was weird, too, that he, too, was unaccepted by his peers. Mark thought that maybe he could make him feel better about it. His uncle didn't seem fazed by any of it in the video. His uncle seemed sure of what he knew. Mark wanted to know, too. There was a knock on the door. Mark, came his father's voice through the barrier. Can I come in? No, he snapped. Go away. Leave me alone, like everyone else. I have something for you. His father tried again. I don't care. I think you do. A torn piece of paper slid underneath the door. I know you've been having a hard time at school. It's not easy being different. 
but it's better. You'll realize that when you're older. After no response from Mark came, his father continued, That's your uncle's address. He doesn't live far from here. We wanted him close. Just because he's different doesn't mean he isn't still loved. You should go talk to him. It might be good for you. Mark wiped the tears out of his eyes. Really? Yes, but son, take whatever he says with a grain of salt. Let me know how he's doing. Mark set off the next day. His father was right. The house stood less than a mile away from his parents' home. Less than a mile away, and no one came to visit. That poor man, Mark thought. He understood. He began to entertain fantasies of having a friend, of going on grand interstellar adventures with his crazy old uncle, of not being alone. The house itself was dilapidated and worn by time and neglect. A board broke and fell through the porch as he approached the door. Mark swatted away the cobwebs over the knocker and made use of it. The first time anyone had in a long while, he imagined. No answer from within the crumbling home came. He tried again. Not a noise. No creaking, no disgruntled yell. But this was no time to give up. Mark circled around the back, hoping to find an open window or back door. He was told by his parents never to encroach on another's property without first being granted permission, but this felt like a special circumstance. If no one had checked on his uncle in weeks, months, or years, who knows what state he could be in. This was family. Mark needed to check on him. That's what family was for. The backyard was more disheveled than the front. Long weeds and untended bushes had overgrown and taken over the property, as if he'd stepped into a dense jungle. Through the plant life, though, he could find no back entrance. Even if one existed, Mark doubted he would ever be able to find it through the overgrowth. But standing at the end of the yard, against the molding wooden fence, was what appeared to be a large garage. Through the window at the top, he could see the dim yellow glow of a light left on inside. Mark waded through the weeds until reaching the door on the side and found that it had been left open. He'd seen enough movies to know this was how people found dead people. His uncle would be dangling from the ceiling with a makeshift rope around his neck, possibly with his pants down. No one had explained to him why some people in the movies hang themselves with their pants down, but he knew this was a thing people did. With that image imprinted into his head, Mark crept into the garage. His uncle was not dangling from the ceiling. In fact, his uncle was nowhere to be seen, but what Mark found was perhaps equally as interesting. Before him stood five rows of shelves all standing together in the center of the garage. On each shelf was one object after another, all appearing to be a gadget of some kind, all put together rather amateurishly, it seemed, most involving the crude marriage of various household appliances held together using duct tape. They looked like something a patient might make during arts and crafts time at a mental health facility, if they happened to be given access to TV remotes, batteries, blenders, digital watches, etc., instead of glitter and uncooked macaroni. Mark wandered along the aisles of misfit inventions, poking at the ones that seemed less viable to explode, until finding something at the end of the garage that seemed quite out of place. Next to what Mark imagined was his uncle's vehicle resting hidden beneath a dusty tarp, was a small cage sitting atop a table. 
He recognized it as being the table from the public access show his father had taped of his uncle explaining wormholes to an audience of five or six stoners who were up at four in the morning. He approached closer until he smelled the pungent scent of feces mixed with low-quality bedding one lines a small animal's cage with. And there, standing up on its hind feet, leaning against the bars of the cage like a seasoned inmate, was a gerbil. A gerbil standing alone in a cage in the middle of an allegedly mentally ill recluse's garage filled with possible terrorist weaponry and or high-tech sex toys. What was its purpose here? Was it genetically modified in one of his uncle's harebrained experiments? There was nothing outwardly wrong with the animal. Mark tapped his finger against the bars of the cage, letting the gerbil nibble at his fingernail. It appeared harmless. He unlatched the door of the cage and held out his open palm like a platform for the gerbil to climb onto. It hesitated, sniffed at the air, then stepped carefully onto his hand. Mark brought it closer to his chest, rocking back and forth in a way he imagined might be calming for the gerbil. "'What are you doing here, little guy?' he mumbled down towards the trembling creature. "'What's he doing with you?' It was at that moment that the gerbil, like an Olympic athlete, launched itself off of his hand, landed unceremoniously onto the hard cement ground, and took off down between the aisles of gadgets. Shit! Mark went after him, hunched over while taking timid, unsteady bounds, careful not to step on the animal. It took a hard right, jumped up onto one of the bottom shelves, and wriggled in between two objects that looked like what a child might think up if asked to design a mind-swapping device. Multicolored bulbs decorated two salvaged World War II helmets that appeared to be entirely superfluous and unnecessary. The animal decided it had found safety between these failed experiments, and so stopped its movement, believing it could hide until its hulking kidnapper lost interest. All right, buddy. You're all right. You're okay. Mark approached slowly, speaking in soft tones as if the animal could understand his motivation was harmless. And just as his fingers touched the cool metal of the 75-year-old makeshift gerbil bunker, the creature let out a shrill chirp Mark found uncharacteristic of an animal its size and darted back onto the floor, heading straight for a small crack in the garage's wall still large enough for its body to fit through. Forgetting any sense of discretion or hesitation, Mark took chase with a full sprint down the aisle. This animal wasn't going to get away. He would not let down his uncle before they even had a chance to become friends. This gerbil meant something important to his uncle, he understood that, and would go to whatever length necessary to return it to its home. The blurred peripheral images of rows of jagged metal and blinking lights flew past him as Mark closed the gap between himself and the escapee. He was going to make it. Then, with his outstretched arm hovering just behind the gerbil like a dangling fisherman's hook, Mark leapt forward. There was a crash. He tripped over his own untied shoelace, grazing the shelves on his right as he toppled over a foot away from the animal. There was the ominous lurching of something heavy wobbling off its center of balance above his head. Even the gerbil stopped short of its freedom and turned around to see what was happening. In a split second, time slowed, and Mark saw everything. A large object teetered at the edge of the top shelf, so large that it threatened to take down the entire supporting structure with it. Before Mark could return to his feet, it came like a storm of hellfire, like an asteroid careening down to Earth. The shadow grew wider and wider, blossoming out and encompassing the gerbil. It didn't see it coming. There was no time. Bang. Splat. 
It was a bowling ball with metal rods sticking out of its holes. A bowling ball with metal rods sticking out of its holes fell to the ground and killed the gerbil. Blood shot out underneath the ball right as it made contact, as if someone had dipped a paintbrush in red paint and flicked it in every direction. Effectively, Mark's uncle's gerbil exploded. No! God, no! The words were instinctual and escaped Mark's mouth like a primal screech. Then, like an echo, came the slurred words. Hey! Hey, who's that? Show yourself! Mark jumped to his feet. Ah, uh, uh... You're trespassing on private property. You break anything, you gotta buy it, man. Like a game of Marco Polo, Mark followed the sound of this new voice into the corner of the garage. Someone was crouching behind the car. Uh, is that you? He mumbled. Am I who? The voice screamed. Who are you? I'm armed. You want a broken tibula, man? Step off. Mark shuffled closer, his arms up in the air like the victim of a holdup. Uncle Raymond? These two words pacified the voice. Who? Who is this again? It's me, Mark. Your nephew? I'm Todd's son. There was a pause. The voice was thinking this over, deciding if the information being fed to him could be trusted. Well, all right. That sounds plausible. I'm coming out now, then. Lower your weapon. I'm not armed. Still. And then there he was. Dr. Raymond Mills, Ph.D., astrophysicist, former astrophysicist. He emerged with a wooden baseball bat gripped tightly with two fists. He watched his nephew like a newly discovered species of animal. Mark, Mark, Mark. Hmm. I haven't seen you since you were um, this high. He stretched out his bat over the ground like a measuring device. Huh? Mark! Before he had a chance to recoil, Mark was wrapped up in his uncle's arms and lifted up off the ground. Ha! <laughs> How old are you now, kid? Twenty? Twenty-one? Struggling to breathe through his uncle's vice grip, Mark managed to release the words. I'm thirteen, Uncle Raymond, but I have to tell you something. Tell me what? Raymond let go and returned Mark to the ground. His eyes flickered and became serious. What did you break, Mark? What was that noise? I, um, I broke your, uh, uh, your gerbil. His uncle stepped back and froze. Say again? Your gerbil, it, um, got out. I, I tried to capture it, but... Raymond soared past him babbling something about insurmountable repercussions. He then disappeared between the rows of shelves where the act had occurred, and there was silence. Mark stood terrified for a moment. Then it came. Oh, Jesus Christ! No! Oh, God, no, Mark! No! No! What have you done? It was an accident, Mark yelled. I'm sorry. I'll get you a new one, Uncle Ray. I, I promise. Raymond came wheeling back around the corner, the unrecognizable mess of fur and red pulp dangling in his palms like a pulverized slab of ground meat. He held up the remains to Mark's nose. Do you know what you've done? 
I said I'm sorry, Uncle Raymond. It wasn't just a gerbil, Mark, his uncle cried, shaking the body around. This was the ambassador to the Plutokorn Empire. They expect a status report from him every 24 hours as per our arrangement. Mark was beginning to see what his father was talking about. It's all right, Uncle Ray. He spoke as he imagined one should while talking to a man in the throes of a psychotic break. I'm sure they won't mind. How about we get you another ambassador at the pet shop downtown and fix it? Fix it! Raymond screamed. Fix it? Unless you happen to take an extensive course in intergalactic diplomacy and and psychology at that elementary school of yours, Mark, we're all screwed. I go to a high school, Uncle Ray. Even so! Raymond made his way between two of the shelves and disappeared, rummaging through his contraptions looking for something. They'll see this as a declaration of war, Mark, his voice shouted. I need to get in contact with his superiors post-haste. They'll think I assassinated him. Mark decided the best move was to play along with his disturbed uncle's ramblings. Why would they think that, Uncle Ray? Ah, dear boy, because we had a deal between the Plorticones and me in exchange for a safe haven for their ambassador to work from and build the reaches of their empire. I was granted access to sensitive information that the Plorticones have knowledge of. What kind of knowledge? Valuable knowledge! Earth-changing knowledge, Mark. Light-speed travel. My life's work, Mark. For five years, my little friend and I have been researching together for the correct method of light-speed travel to introduce to humanity. Together we were going to bring connectivity and peace to humanity and the rest of the known universe. And you fucked that all up. They'll think I'd gotten all the information I needed and then reneged on the deal. But I'm no rat, Mark. I'm a... Oh! A shrieking wail then erupted from behind the shelves. Oh, you poor little creature. What did he do to you? To us? Before Mark could apologize further, Raymond emerged with a metal colander on his head. Atop it was a ring of bulbs that flickered on and off in no discernible pattern. A series of red and green wires ran from the top or bottom of the colander that connected to a walkie-talkie that he held in his hand. Jammed rather sloppily into the back of the walkie-talkie where the battery would go was a glowing green cylindrical object, fastened in for good measure by a thick overlapping strip of duct tape wrapped around the base. Raymond then pulled up a collapsing beach chair, sat down, slapped the side of the colander on his head like it was an out-of-order jukebox, pressed a button on the walkie-talkie, and began speaking into the 90s-era children's toy. Senator Morbles! Come in, Senator Morbles! This is Dr. Raymond Mills of Planet Earth, PhD, making contact in regards to my associate, Ambassador Rechimach, a.k.a. Fluffy Buns. Come in, Senator Morbles! Over! Mark watched as his uncle nodded and shook his head as if there were in fact a voice on the other end of the line. There was silence for a minute or so before he continued. Right. Yes. The unfortunate news. Yes, unfortunate news indeed. It is with great hesitation and terror, sir, that I must inform you of the untimely death of Fl uh, Ambassador Rechemach. That's right, accidental, of course. More silence now, for longer this time. Raymond's facial expressions began to contort into a mixture of panic and distress. 
No, sir. Completely accidental. Earth is a difficult climate for any living being. These things happen, you see. No, sir, no. I, I don't advise that. That's not necessary, I assure you. Please rethink your decision, Senator. I advise you not to... Wait. Wait, sir. I advise you not to... Raymond stopped talking. He sat frozen in the chair, staring off through his nephew, then took off his colander gently, before erupting and heaving the heavy device across the garage. The crash it made coincided with the release of total animalistic terror that then came from his mouth. We're all gonna die! We're gonna fucking die! What? What's happening? said Mark, trying his best to remain sensitive to his uncle's volatile outbursts. Why are we gonna die, Uncle Ray? The Plortacoans have declared war! They'll be here any minute to destroy us all! They think I killed him, Mark! Hang on now, Mark replied. Are there some medications that you haven't been taking, Uncle Ray? Of course I haven't been, Raymond howled. How else would I have been able to finish my life's work? Goddamn earthling doctors don't know how to handle a mind with the amount of depth mine possesses. <laughs> I laugh at the idea. Mark was in over his head. He began backing up slowly towards the exit. Look, that's okay, Uncle Ray. I'm going to go home and get my dad, and we'll all figure this out together, okay? Just stay here, okay? Go home. You can't go home at a time like this. Raymond began looking around frantically, trying to formulate some sort of plan, either to survive the apocalypse or to keep his nephew from leaving, or both. One by one, he picked up any objects within his line of sight, mumbling, Oh, this one won't do, each time before throwing it behind his back and grabbing the next. No, no, this one won't either. Think, Raymond, think. It wasn't until Mark had reached the door that his uncle recognized he was taking flight, and so screamed, Eureka! Mark, come here. Mark wasn't sure how violent his uncle was capable of being, so felt inclined to indulge him until he could successfully slip out the back. Yes, Uncle Ray? Raymond grabbed him around the shoulders and shuffled him towards the large object waiting for them beneath the dusty tarp. This, he said, is our way out. Now, it's still a prototype, mind you, but I believe even with the amount of research I was able to compile with... Uh... Raymond swallowed hard before mumbling, my associate... This could very well be our ticket out of here. Are you prepared, Mark? Sure, Uncle Ray. Great! He then threw off the tarp. Underneath was an old Volkswagen Beetle, circa 1960-something. It looked like it would take a miracle to make it run again. The doors were rusting and one of the wheels was flat. But most peculiar and unexplainable was what seemed to have replaced the engine underneath the hood. The front was exposed and where the hood top should have been was instead a massive, jagged hunk of glowing metal sticking up three feet in the air. It glowed green and pulsated, and appeared to be made of the same material of whatever object his uncle had jammed into the walkie-talkie. This, said his uncle, beaming with his arms out like he was presenting to a filled auditorium of his peers, is my masterpiece. Or it would have been. Almost is. But it should work. What should work? asked Mark. It's a spacecraft, outfitted with the technology to engage in interdimensional travel. That's great, said Mark. Why don't I go tell my dad about it and you can show him too? No, there's no time. 
The Armada will be here in seconds, Mark. Get in with me, and once the Pluricoan forces arrive, we'll take off and exit through the very wormhole that they'll be using to get here. Ha! <laughs> it's genius. Just as Raymond pressed the button to open the garage door, revealing the overgrown backyard of a recluse losing his grip on reality, a mighty quake struck the earth. Several of the contraptions on the shelves fell to the ground in a symphony of sharp crashes. Mark fell to the floor while his uncle tripped and steadied himself against the Volkswagen. An earthquake? Raymond's eyes grew wide and lit up. There was an equal amount of fear and excitement in his gaze. That's it! He screamed. It's happening, Mark! They're here! He dove into the driver's seat of the car and began fiddling with switches and buttons until the headlights turned on and burned yellow and the unfamiliar engine roared like a plane taking off, shaking the walls of the garage. Well, are you coming or not? Before Mark could answer, another tremor came, stronger this time. Entire shelves fell over, shattering his uncle's inventions as they hit the floor. The ground felt like malleable rubber. It felt like the earth was breaking apart. Well, now or never, Mark. Mark ignored his uncle and stumbled out through the overgrowth and into the street to investigate. As his feet reached the pavement, someone screamed in the distance. Then another scream. And another. Then the earth once more trembled. And so terribly it trembled that a crack opened up in the street in front of him and split apart like the gates of hell itself had been unlocked. Now another scream. This time Mark could make out the words, Look at the sky! Mark craned his neck upward and choked on his own gasp for what he saw was something he had never seen before. Overhead were the enormous, hulking black forms of thousands of rectangular objects descending in perfect rows over the earth. They came closer and closer, growing larger with each second, shaking the ground with the sound and force of their alien engines, until all at once coming to a stop together just above the sparse layer of cloud coverage. At this distance, the structures were large and numerous enough to block out the light of the sun. Sirens were now crying out from all directions. Gunshots. Screams. Someone ran past Mark, wailing with a pistol in his hand. God didn't love us enough! Repent now or die! Well, motherfucker. His uncle was right. Mark sprinted back through the jungle backyard, skidded into the garage as another tremor struck and knocked over a tree that then collapsed into the side of Raymond's house and slammed into the side of what he now had no choice but to believe was an honest-to-God spacecraft. What was it like out there, kid? His uncle relented, half distracted by some final adjustments on the front dash. You were right, Mark coughed out between breaths. You were right. They're coming. I ended the world. I didn't mean to, Uncle Ray. I didn't mean to. Ah, what can you do, kid? We all make mistakes. His uncle smiled, and for the first time, perhaps also because of the circumstances, Mark saw no trace of insanity in his warm expression. He saw family, a friend. And plus, what a momentous achievement that is. My nephew, Mark, destroyer of worlds. I couldn't be prouder. Think of the reputation we'll have at the Intergalactic Scientific Gala Awards. Rock stars, Mark. Might have to watch out for the Plurticoans, though. More gunshots were now ringing out in the streets. More screams. Machine gunfire, cars crashing into buildings, violence, death. 
The true human condition had been brought out in a matter of seconds. All it took was a little apocalypse. Mark wheeled around the side and jumped into the passenger seat. All right, then. Let's go. Raymond revved the engine, and with a sudden burst of power, the little beetle took off out of the garage and squeezed beneath the fallen tree before hitting the street and swerving to avoid the crack in the earth that had already expanded. It was yards across now and could have gone down for miles. This theory would soon be tested before their eyes as a man pressed the barrel of his shotgun against another man's chest and fired, grabbing the bag of food out of his hand as the body fell backwards into the pitch-black chasm. All right, we're going to need a clear runway for about a half mile if my calculations are correct, Raymond said, twisting the Frankenstein vehicle around, stalled cars and hysteric neighbors escaping on foot. We're not going to get that, though, so let's just see how this goes. Mark stuck his head out the window and looked up. Each of the spacecrafts was now emitting a bright red light directly facing the Earth. They were growing larger. What is that? Whoa! At that moment, a bullet flew through the back window, shattering the glass and scattering it across the back seat before lodging itself in the center of the windshield. Jesus, Mark, get in here, his uncle growled. Right now, it's more important to be aware of our direct threats. Those ships need not concern you. If everything goes according to plan, and those are the death beams, when all of them are fully charged, every one of those ships stationed all across the planet will fire at once, effectively disintegrating the Earth. How much time do we have? About a minute, Raymond mumbled. The vehicle was picking up speed, twisting around cars abandoned in the street and less capable drivers alike. Bullets rang out from every direction like the finale of a Tchaikovsky overture. The city skyline was on fire in the distance. The planet had become a war zone before the aliens even fired a shot. Almost there, kid. Almost there. It wasn't until now, through the fog and confusion of the chaos, that Mark remembered his father. Wait. Wait, wait, wait. Uncle Ray, what about my dad? What about your brother? What are we going to do? Can we not save anyone? How are we going to live? I'm scared, Uncle Ray. I'm really scared. I don't want to be alone. Raymond answered without looking up, just as the front wheels of the Volkswagen began to lift off the ground. As the red beams in the sky had grown so large, they were like a thousand pregnant creatures ready to give birth. As the largest skyscraper in the city collapsed ten miles away, as the city became smaller and smaller beneath them. You're not alone, kid. I'm right here. Jack Moody is a short story writer, poet, and freelance journalist from wherever he happens to be at the time. He has had work published in multiple magazines and journals, including the Saturday Evening Post. He didn't go to college. He likes his privacy. He doesn't have social media. Don't ask him to make one. Contact him at j.moody9116 at gmail.com. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.